One of the things that I wanted us to do was talk about, uh, it sounds slightly naff, but our favourite animals. And I, when I reflect on this question, I have been obsessed with elephants for uh, almost all of my life. And I can remember the very first time I saw an elephant, uh, like most people, it was in a zoo. Um, so I was born in Belfast and I lived very near the Bellevue Zoo on the Antrim Road in Belfast. And my father would bring myself, my younger brother, up most Sunday afternoons. And I remember the first memory I have is of walking into a small concrete, really no bigger than a, a double garage enclosure with bars and seeing a baby elephant um, on the other side. And it, when I say baby, it might have been maybe four or five years old. It wasn't a brand a brand new baby, but it was still small, not fully grown. And standing as a small child in the presence of an animal of substance, which looks so prehistoric, it's for a start, it's gigantic compared to you being a toddler um, and the trunk. And in, the, and in those days, it would never happen now, of course. Um, you know, you you fed the animals. It was the thing to, I mean, it's really shocking now to think about it, but you brought bread or buns or whatever. And, and I, I remember putting my hand out and then this elephant put it, its trunk and the lips of the trunk onto my hand and sniffed and then took the piece of bread and then coiled the trunk back into its mouth and, and started to munch. And then when, when I could see that there was no more food, simply turned its back on me and, and ambled off. And and so began, uh, I think, what I would call a professional love affair with the elephants of the world. You know, they, ha they make an impression for the rest of your life. And it is, it is a tricky discussion as to, you know, how animals are kept in zoos and, and how we treat them. And yet, for a lot of people, they've changed the way they think about the natural world. And I know that from things like you can still feed manatees in Singapore Zoo. It's a very good enclosure, actually, and they feed them lettuces. But not until you do that do you realize what sort of an animal a manatee is. It's got these funny whiskers which, which kind of suck things in. And, of course, you wouldn't get that experience unless you got that close to a manatee. Indeed. And sometimes people are very black and white about the debate. They're anti-zoo or they're pro-zoo. And, and what, what I prefer to say is, certainly in my own personal experience, I would not have become interested in biology or the natural world. I wouldn't have studied um, zoology academically or done my PhD in animal behavior had I not had that um, original encounter with that specific animal, that elephant, and all the other animals in that zoo. And it was a Victorian menagerie. It's very, very different nowadays. Days, the, the, the same zoo in Belfast that's moved up into the Cave Hill. Um, there are much bigger enclosures, etc., etc., etc. But in those days, you really did get up, up close and personal um, as, as you did. But that was what generated and stimulated my interest, um, as it is with a lot of people in, in the natural world. Now, I mean, we didn't have the benefit back then when I was 10 or 11 years of age of, of the wonderful uh, wildlife programs that we have on television now. The world was really unknown to you. So it was an, an incredible encounter. But I wanted to kind of extend that out of zoos, John, and into the natural habitats because I know that you've 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 filmed in Amboseli, haven't you, in Kenya? Yes, yes, we have, uh, and I know you've been there. It's a most amazing place. It, to date, it's got something like nearly fifteen hundred elephants, um, and even on a on a year when there was a drought, which was twenty seventeen, there was nearly seventy calves born. 
So Amboseli, we should say, is a is a national park. National is it a national nature reserve or a natural nature reserve? What is it they call them? It's a national park in Kenya. It's south of Nairobi, isn't it? And yes. and you can, I know you can see Mount Kilimanjaro from it. You know the the iconic uh, African mountain with snow on the top. Um, you can see that in the distance. So the elephants are pretty re- remarkable creatures. Uh, when I was uh, presenting the Natural History Program back in the 80s, I had the great fortune to meet um, uh, a woman called Dr. Joyce Poole, who was uh, studying in Amboseli um, in Kenya with Cynthia Moss, who's a famous zoologist and who has spent her life studying elephants. And I think a few fact probably met her and filmed there, John, did you? Yeah, I filmed with Joyce. I'll tell you about that in a while. We've, we were, our mission was to film mating behavior in elephants, which is quite yes. spectacular. I'll tell so you about that in, in, in 1985, um, she was working with, um, Katie Payne. And in fact, Joyce was working on aggression and sexual aggression in elephants and, spe- and specifically the state of moths. But by almost by accident, um, they discovered by uh, having a bat detector um, and sound detector near a group of elephants, they just dis- they discovered that elephants, in fact, communicate using um, infrasound, which is sound which is uh, lower than the the audible sound that humans can hear. And in fact, if you're quite close to a group of elephants, you can certainly hear and feel them rumble and vibrate. But they communicate over huge distances using this infrasound. And and it was such a new discovery at that time. Um, and it's it's fair, a fairly well-known phenomenon. But it was a fascinating conversation with her, how she discovered it. And they were at the forefront then of discussing elephant communication. And they've gone on to show that um, uh, females that come into estrus can signal that they're coming into estrus. Obviously, males in moths, uh, they can communicate pheromonally, but also with this uh, uh, infrasound. And, and I also discovered quite recently that giraffes also use infrasound. I don't know if you knew that, did you? No, I, I'm guessing that infrasound or deep, you know, long tones are good for communicating in that sort of grassland environment and maybe through trees. They probably travel quite a distance. I would imagine you can't put too much sophistication into the signal, though. But uh, anyway, I, I don't know. What was your experience? Well, uh, <clears throat> I've had lots of experience, but when I was out in Kenya for the first time, I met a, a lady called Daphne Sheldrick, who's very um, famous. Uh, sadly, she died quite recently, but her husband, David Sheldrick, was one of the founder members of uh, national parks in Kenya. And um, Daphne um, had a, a lifelong association with elephants, particularly orphaned elephants, uh, elephants that were orphaned by elephant poaching. So the the parents would have been killed for their tusks. And she started an orphanage just outside Nairobi. And I visited um, uh, Daphne and met uh, some of her orphaned elephants. And she told me that the first elephant she rescued was an elephant called Eleanor and Eleanor had a very special role in elephant society because she was the one who uh, was released into the wild. She was such a special elephant, though she had her own armed guard, and these two men would walk around with um, Eleanor in the wild. And every time Daphne needed to wean an orphaned elephant away from their human keepers, uh, they were handed over to to Eleanor the elephant. I didn't meet Eleanor because she was she was out in the wild. But I remember that interview very distinctly, and I remember feeding some of the orphaned elephants. And a few years later, when I got married, and my wife and I were on 
uh, honeymoon. One of the things that we did was, um, I'm sure you're wondering where we're going with this. One of the things <laughs> we did was uh, go, go on safari. And as we were driving through one of the national parks, uh, I could see this elephant in the distance with two men walking along beside it. And I, I said to our guide who was driving us, I said, is that Eleanor, the elephant? And he, he, he looked at me and anyway, cut a long story short, we went up, stopped, and there was this elephant that, that uh, Daphne had trained. And she was the most amazing creature. And she had a, a group of orphans with her and we got out, we fed her and spent some time with her. It was just one of those incredibly special moments. And of course, when you stand up close to a... Uh, an African elephant, four or five tons, their sheer presence and being, it just, it's just absolutely mesmerizing. And, you know, we're so lucky in that respect also to have worked with some, these people who study these animals and they're, they're, the animals are giants, are giants in themselves, aren't they? Daphne Sheldrake is a legend. Um, I was just reading her book actually called An African Love St Story. And um, it just, it, it's a really good read, actually. It's worth yes. catching up with her. But she's got had an amazing life. And uh, and so is uh, Joyce Poole, who's um, still studying elephants, I believe, in, in Amboseli. So tell us about your trip. And, and you were, were filming there, were you? Well, Joyce is um, the person who's credited with uh, understanding must in African elephants, um, Indian elephants. So what, we should explain what must is. Must is, is the basically the season of, that the male the sexual cycle that the male comes into we're familiar with female sexual cycle maybe but the males in elephants have a sexual cycle and uh, that's called must and they um when they're mature they produce a, a, an, an amazing um scent from their urine and they're constantly dribbling <laughs> they're constantly dribbling urine as they walk around and uh, basically uh, this was known in indian elephants but joyce was the first to identify it in African elephants and they also produce a secretion from the temporal glands don't they John yes. you can see that yes, sometimes coming down temporal glands are behind the eyes aren't they? They, they it looks like they're crying yes um but, so there are many different ways that elephants are communicating that we don't realize it's partly why we in the words of of uh, W Bush we misunderestimate them um the uh, the thing is that you know they've got they've got very many different areas where they communicate so the temporal glands are a kind of smell they produce from behind their eyes and i've seen a whole herd do it um suddenly just all as if they're crying we should just talk about amboseli as being a, a special place where you can still see elephants as they used to be you talk about elephants in zoos one of the things that happened in our childhood was that elephants were kept as ones and twos well except for chester zoo actually which has always had a, a herd and of course, that is exactly what you need for elephants. Elephants are extremely social and they communicate with each other a lot. So the natural situation is a female or several females with maybe 25 others in the herd. And that is the natural way an elephant lives. And only in places like Amboseli can you still see that. And of course, those, those animals in the herd will all be uh, sisters, aunties, daughters, uh, young sons. Yes, yeah, exactly. The males tend to leave. Um, I, I can't remember the exact age, but it's something in their teens. They'll they'll leave the herd and they'll go and uh, they'll go and have a life of their own. Um, and that brings us back to must. Which is, so? What are those big bull elephants? As you say, you know, seven tons, amazing. You know, 
what would he, how high would you say it is at the shoulder an elephant of that I, size? I'd say 14 feet maybe 15 feet oh, it's just awesome it is awesome um and uh so we were there trying to film their mating for a series called the battle of the sexes which was a um series which was about obviously male female interactions in the animal kingdom and the elephant of course being the most spectacular in many ways what and the happened? bull will be twice the size of the female often when they're mating, isn't that right? Yes. Well, yes, the female selects them, actually. So I was there with Joyce, and we, uh, she knew what we, what we needed to film, and she explained it to me, and we were looking for it for a, quite a few days. Um, we had a, a character in Douglas Hamilton who's very famous as well. He was uh, flying in his light aircraft, and he, he'd help us a lot, and he would... Um, tip the wings of his light aircraft uh, towards where he, where these uh, big herds were. Yes. At that time, I think there were about a thousand elephants. There's a bit more now in in mm. Amboseli. Okay, so the mating of elephants of African elephants, the, the these large bull males, which are they've discovered are actually in their forties. So it's the larger males that are and the older males that are doing the mating. The younger ones are learning. And of course, for years they've been trying to shoot the. They've said that the large males are the ones you can shoot if they're into hunting, and of course, it's exactly the wrong thing to do because they're um, they're the ones that do the mating. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, this uh, must male will come up to a herd of twenty five females, and he will put his trunk between their legs and, and sample all of them. Yeah, well, they immediately urinate. They start to pee, and then and and the urine. Um, he smells the urine with something called a phlegmon organ, which is on the top of his mouth. And they, and so he can tell whether that female is in Easterus and he doesn't mess around. He just goes straight through the herd and he spends, he spends 30 seconds with a female who isn't in Easterus and he's off again to the next one. He tests the whole herd and he goes ones around. And then you, you can see this. I've seen, I've seen a bull male like that go through a herd of 25 females in about, 15 minutes you know wow. it's like, no none of you are in estrus i'm off <laughs> so he right. goes off <laughs> so but when he does find one that's in estrus and i think they're only in estrus for about two days so basically receptive he um uh he stays with her and she starts running a little bit faster ahead of him and he starts running a bit faster and she starts running a bit faster until they're doing this amazing charge down the savannah and uh they go you know you can see them going for a, about a mile in the distance and uh, he's got his his trunk, his nose on the ground. Um, and sometimes she does a big U-shaped loop and she comes past him. And she, you can see as a human who's got eyes to see. Um, yes, he's come can, can he not see the elephant no, come running got past his, him? He's got his trunk down on the ground and he's just following her track through. <laughs> you know, she's gone. Hey, she's gone past you. <laughs> and then she starts calling out. She goes, you know, makes very large um, trumpeting um, calls. And she is calling out to all other males in the area saying, oh, if there's any better males here, come and get rid of this one. You know, yes. so, and, and so um, eventually, so they do that sort of U-shaped, um, you could call it almost a dance um, for a, a couple of miles. And then she stops, at which point he catches up with her and mounts her. And, you know, he's got a penis, which is maybe four feet long, which is one of the most spectacular organs in the animal kingdom. And um, and and, he, S, uh, and 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 S shaped. Let's not leave that detail out. S shaped. It's, it's S, S shaped. 
Uh, well, I guess it's because of the the shape of the uh, uh, female anatomy. It just needs to be yes. a shape uh, for intercourse. But you to know, it, to put it bluntly, but um, <laughs> there's only one way to put it, isn't there? But but the thing is that uh, when you saying you know they're they're 14 feet at the shoulder, of course the male, the female, a bit smaller. Uh, now he's on her back. Uh, they are combined height and he's he's probably about 10 feet above her so she's 15 so so his yeah. head is about 25 feet above the ground when he's mating her yeah, you know incredible and <laughs> and you know what else happens is that the whole herd the other 25 elephants and the teenagers in particular all get really excited by this chase that's happened the mating chase and they all go they go you know it's a absolute pandemonium and get great clouds of dust and all these these uh it's almost as if they're saying go on good for you yeah. <laughs> so and uh and so the whole herd and, and that's when you also see the temporal streaming which is this organ behind the eye which releases a bit of uh, fluid and that fluid presumably smells and then so the whole herd is coordinating and almost helping this mating. And um, afterwards, I remember, because uh, Joyce wanted to get some samples, and um, I of remember... What? Uh, well, I'll tell you. She she she, she twiddled a, a twig in, on the, in the undergrowth, uh, just where these elephants had been, and it got this big white blob on the end of it. And I was saying, oh, that's interesting, Joyce. So... So what is that? Well, that's elephant sperm, you know. And you look, you, you look, you looked over all the bushes and everything. There must have been about half a pint of sperm everywhere, you know. So, and she was, and I, and I thought to myself, hmm. So here I am in the savannah, looking at Joyce Paul twiddling elephant sperm on a twig. And she took, she took the sample and put it in. I presumably to do some DNA testing. Um, and uh, but you know, uh, an amazing uh, privileged experience. We did get that film and, and and that's the the object of it we we got the the sequence of the elephants mating uh but my goodness i mean you start to realize um that was quite um, an incredible experience john and and you, you paint a wonderful picture of the the frenzy that goes on on the herd I and mean, you can imagine all the ways that they're communicating with the infrasound with the audible sound with the trumpeting with the running around with the the uh, they are obviously all aware of the must hormones from yes. him and the estrus hormones from her um, and then of course when he's um, procreated with her off he goes one of the things that you alluded to there of course was she she does call at one stage when she stops to look for other males and it's not something that i've witnessed in the wild but when another bull elephant comes on the scene uh, and they then have to compete and fight that is really a contest between two yeah, Goli goliaths Usually, often, but when it, you're absolutely right, it's an spectacular thing to see. And of course, as a filmmaker, you'd want to film, and they can really hurt each other. Um, most of the time, they just parallel walk. They're kind of sizing each other up, and also they've known each other as as uh, in their uh, childhood, in their uh, as young males, because um, they have little spar fights, just you know, funny little fights between teenagers. But they're actually because of, of course, a hugely intelligent animal, got a memory. They've they've sized each other up over the years and say, well, yeah, that's George. Well, he's you know he's not really going to be able to take me on, so we don't need to fight, you know. So it's only when there's two evenly matched ones come and then they really fight. But you know what I wanted to say is one of the extraordinary things is when that when all the teenagers and the rest of the herd calls when they're mating, it's all it's a joyous event. It's really fun, you know, and and that joy transfers to another species, i.e., the humans watching it. And I just felt elated when I saw mm. it. Mm. 
And uh, to watch, uh, as I have in the wild, a newly born elephant calf being tended by its mother and by its aunties and sisters. There's an, it's, and it happens in quite a lot of species. Um, I'm thinking primates, especially. In fact, um, when when a young uh, animal is born, the curiosity of the rest of the animals in the fa- in the family group is so intense, and it is so loving. Um, which is a very human word to attach to an animal, but you you can just see the affection with which these. And of course, when the when the female is walking uh, with a very young calf, the very young calf stays right right underneath um, this huge big uh, animal, which is its mother, which is protecting it. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to watch. I think it is a kind of love myself. I don't really have um, too much of an issue calling it love. I mean, you can see grandmother um elephants looking after their grand what we'd call grandchildren um and pulling them out of mud and things like that well what is that that's that's uh, mm. uh maybe a scientist might call it um parental care what would they call it i don't know yeah. something well. clinical but of course it is it is what we would call love it's 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 a deep bond which um you know if we don't call it love in elephants how do we call it in ourselves you know I must tell you another story just before we end this particular podcast. I've actually never told the story to anyone. Um, And it was when I was uh, charged by an elephant um, and it was in the wild. It was quite a dangerous situation and and I shouldn't have been in the position I was in. But anyway, here goes. I was lucky enough to be one of the three presenters on one of the Natural History Unit's first big TV live epics in Africa. It was a program called Africa Watch. And my co-presenters were Jonathan Scott and Julian Pettifer. And we were out in the Maasai Mara. And they they were on a base camp. And I had the best job. I was in a jeep with two or three camera trucks following. And if a, a herd of elephants came into the marsh or the marsh lions came in or some monkeys came in, then I would be dispatched on the jeep to, to broadcast. Uh, and this was live. We should probably spend a whole other podcast talking about live broadcasting and, and programs well, like that, John. You know, so you were on alert to yeah. look at interesting wildlife in the yes. Massa. Yes, indeed. And, and, and this was being beamed into millions of homes on BBC One, BBC Two and the Discovery Channel. It was the first television that I'd ever done. It was actually quite scary. We were on just after EastEnders. So I would be sitting in the Maasai Mara listening to EastEnders theme music ending and being told by a director, OK, we're coming up, we're coming to you, coming to you. Very, very exciting. But anyway, uh, three weeks before the programme started uh, broadcasting, we were we were outflown and out in old Dakotas and they set up a base camp. It was an amazing operation in itself. And we had lots of rehearsals and some recording sessions. And um, because this was the first time that I had done this, I wanted to go out in the Jeep on my own without directors and cameramen and everybody else just to try and rehearse some of my, my script. And I took one of the Jeeps out and um, pulled up next to the the, the Mara River and was looking at um, a group of hippos down in, in the river and and t- talking about hippos as if I was talking to our camera. And when I finished, I thought, that's great. I'm, I'm happy now I can go back to our camp. I turned the engine on and what I hadn't noticed was a herd of elephants because they can be incredibly loud, but they can also be incredibly quiet. I, I mean, the whole I'd say about five or six had crept up almost beside me and I hadn't even heard them. But there was a young um, um, juvenile 
elephant right next to the, the Jeep that I was in. And when I turned my engine on, it got an awful startle. And it just lifted its trunk and its ears and ran back towards its mother, shrieking. And, of course, the mother, I turned around. And um, this, at this stage, the mother thought, what's going on? And she put her head down, put the ears out, and charged for the Jeep. Now, she fortunately for me, she stopped about, I'd say, six or seven feet short. If she had hit and made contact with me, I would have fallen 30 or 40 feet into the Mara River and into the hippos and into the crocodiles. I mean, it really would have been the end of me. And the reason I've never told anybody that story is that I shouldn't really have been out there on, on my own. I kind of snuck out um, to try and rehearse and practice. And, and fortunately, I reacted very quickly. I turned the engine off and just froze. But for that terrifying few moments, I was eyeing a very angry large female uh, mother African elephant and thinking to myself please don't make contact please don't make contact I promise I promise I promise it was well, a, it was a scary but alive, amazing moment yeah you know you're alive I do indeed <laughs> But, and I had uh, a better understanding of animal behaviour yeah, and elephant no, behaviour. I, I mean, I've done some silly things, but they've all been accidental like that because you didn't realise, you know, uh, what you were actually doing. I went into a hide in Uganda and, and I was waiting for some mongooses, but I didn't realise that um, there were hippos all around me. And I, I was being very quiet and I was sitting in this hide and there was a warthog outside and I coughed or something and the poor warthog realized too late that i was within about a two three feet of it and it went absolutely ballistic and uh, i realized what would have happened had that been a hippo you know mm -hmm. so um and then uh, you, you think oh that was stupid i was trying to go for, you know make sure i got some shots of the mongoose but um i didn't think of all the other things or what i was actually doing you know so um but it's because you get absorbed with it you just have to kind of you know keep yourself alert all the time the last thing I want to say just about, I mean, I could talk all day for elephants, as, as you could see, and I think you probably could too, is the amazing behavior that they display when they come across what's called an elephant graveyard or the carcass yes. of of of, yes. of another elephant, whether it be a relative yes. or not. Um, I know, and, I agree with you. It's how you get into the mind of these creatures. You, you, you know, we, we, we suspect they got huge intelligence, but... How do we know? And this is one of the windows into that, isn't it? And just to describe for, for anybody who's listening who doesn't know or who hasn't seen this on on television. Um, so if if you see a group of elephants and they come across the carcass and there are carcasses all over uh, places like this because animals die or they're hunted or whatever. But they come across um, the skull or the leg bones or the or the large ribs um, and all of the elephants come and they lift the bones and they smell the bones and they move the bones about and they stand for ages and they shift them with their feet um, and it's so obvious that they are in many cases sensing the life of our relative and let's face it they live what 60 70 80 years they can be very long lived these animals and they live in very tight family groups and they miss each other when they go off it's just, it's almost heartbreaking to watch them um when they're doing this have you seen it yes i've seen it with um they were filming an imax film uh, next to us and they they deliberately put some old bones out and i could see a whole herd pondering over these bones for at least two or three hours they're trying to work out who it was. No, they were dead elephant bones, of course. And uh, 
it, t it tells you so much about what an elephant is and from our discussion it's a very social animal they're very social they have tremendous uh, intelligence they've got very good senses very different to ours which is possibly why we don't understand them as well um their smell sense of course that might the trunk might give you a clue as to what yes. <laughs> but uh but actually you know that the experience of seeing a male elephant go past the female even though she was within a few yards of him but he was still smelling her scent not looking up mm. um made me realize how much almost like dogs they're into the world of smell well i know uh that i although i know a fair bit about elephants and i've had the pleasure to see elephants in the wild i know there's a lot more that i need to learn particularly about the indian elephant which is smaller smaller ears and the pygmy elephants that live in forests um so it is my real ambition to get out and to see that um those particular elephants in their natural habitat and maybe you'll come with me john yes and there are <laughs> definitely i'd like to see there's a, a bigger species of elephant well, whether it's a different species, it's probably not a different species, but it's a bigger Indian elephant, which is found on Sri Lanka. And uh, uh, I've seen things by um, Ian Douglas Hamilton on that. I'd love to, to see them myself. 